Episode 5, Mike Maddox. You know, excellence is a, it's, it's a culture to me. When you are excellent, you become unforgettable. For me, I think that excellence is, is winning. Welcome to a new era of excellence. As college football Hall of Famer, NFL player, and U.S. Naval Academy graduate Napoleon McCallum says, any time is a great time to talk about excellence. Even in a world filled with challenges and obstacles, chasing excellence can help quiet the noise and focus your mind. This is the Magnifying Excellence podcast powered by xleet.com. I'm your host, Brian Hurlbert. As is our custom, in the intro, we heard inspiring definitions of excellence from football Hall of Famer Marcus Allen, entertainment icon Oprah Winfrey, and crossover golf superstar Tiger Woods. In just a moment, 15-year Major League Baseball veteran and one of the best pitching coaches in baseball, Mike Maddox, will share his definition of excellence with us. Plus, he reveals his stunning story about overcoming injuries and other obstacles to forge out a three-decade career in professional baseball. Mike likes to say, you can't bluff your way through life and is an expert observer with an ability to make everyone around him better. It was those skills and a willingness to help others that allowed him to make an easy transition from playing to coaching. Plus, there was also his very valuable notebook that other players and coaches coveted. Mike had a career record of 39 wins and 37 losses with 20 saves and a 4.05 earned run average. He was a respected teammate and opponent, and his dedication and baseball wisdom was well known. He's a member of the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame and is pitching coach of the St. Louis Cardinals. Also, as the pitching coach of the Texas Rangers, he helped lead the team to the World Series twice. There's plenty to the Mike Maddox story. His Hall of Fame brother, Greg, will share some thoughts with us as well, and you'll be inspired, amazed, and even amused as Mike opens up about life and baseball. I call Mike Mr. Overachiever, a term he likes and has earned. So, Mr. Overachiever, how do you define excellence? I think uh, excellence is, uh, you know, in sports, or not not limited to sports and all we do, you're... um, you're given this, uh, this slot limit of ability. And what, what are your abilities and how vast are your abilities? Well, well, whatever they are, we want to get the most out of them. And I think excellence is overachieving. I think the, the greatest compliment you can give a player is that you are an overachiever. You know, you were dealt this ability and this talent level right here. And other guys may have more ability. They may have more talent than you do. But guess what? You, you, you won the games. You know, you outpitched them. You outhit them. You did whatever because you overachieved and maybe they underachieved. They got by on sheer talent. You got by on will and grit. And I think overachieving is – that's excellence to me. Man, you got to be all in on everything. Take nothing for granted. Uh, make sure that uh, you have a plan when you go out there, um, regardless if you're – competing in your livelihood or your rec sport, if you want to be the best you can be, we'll go all in with it. Uh, leave nothing to chance. Um, that, that's all we can do is give, give it your best effort every day. 
Cherishing the moment is an overriding philosophy for Maddox, and doing your best today is what is needed on the road to excellence. Mike went all in for an opportunity to pitch in the big leagues, and part of that journey started in his hometown. Many of us have those moments where we can retreat or advance as we chase excellence. Mike bet big. I guess uh, one of the big motivators was knowing that it would end. That's, that was huge for me, that tomorrow's not guaranteed, so you better treat today like it's your last, man, that you know it's going to end, and let's get the most out of it. That, that was one thing that motivated me, that take nothing for, for granted. And it was it, – it's is it hard to do? Well, sure it is. Sure it is. That's why so few people, you know, have – been on that, that diamond out down there. It, it, it's tough, but you know, it's going to end. You're going to give it, you're going to give it your all. And I'm kind of at a loss for words, but I can just tell a story about that. Um, you know, um, I had a couple surgeries and I was trying to fight back, uh, get back on that prospect horse that I was once on, but two, two surgeries in two years. And I was, wasn't very good, I'll be honest with you, but um, I'd kind of got written off, and I wasn't ready for the end. You know, I know it would end, but I wasn't ready for it. So I was uh, at the Las Vegas Baseball Academy, and Mike Martin was catching me, and all of a sudden, it just kept getting better and better, and this was my second time through surgery, and it just kept getting better. Well, a lot of baseball had kind of like given up on me, and I'm sitting at home, and they had spring training games, spring training games on television. And I was, you know, kind of a little, you know, bitter. You know, I'm watching guys play on TV and I'm like, you know what? Uh, how can they get an opportunity? I think I'm every bit as good as they are, or somewhat, maybe even better. And all I really wanted was an opportunity because I was not ready for this thing to end. Well, Chris Kemper, one of my dear friends, uh, says, hey, the Las Vegas Stars are having a luncheon where they're going to introduce the manager, Jim Riggleman, would you like to go? And I said, you know what? You're darn tootin' I'd like to go. So we went down to this luncheon, and uh, Joe McElvain, the general manager of the Padres, and Ed Lynch, who was the minor league director, were there. So after uh, Riggleman spoke and everybody shaking hands, saying goodbye, they're on their way back to Yuma, Arizona for spring training. Um, Chris and I approach uh, Joe McElvain and Eddie Lynch, and explain my situation and would like an opportunity just to go to camp. Well, they thought that, you know, the team being in Vegas and having a local guy on the team would kind of be, that'd be pretty cool. Well, they said they didn't have any spots, this and that, but if I paid my own way to go to spring training, they could see if I could get a few innings here and there in the minor league camp. Well, that was enough opportunity for me. So I went down there, paid my own way, got a uniform, got on the field, got people out. And then the moment came where they needed some innings pitched at the major league level in a uh, spring training game. So I started the game and was quite successful. And they said, hey, we want to see that again. So I threw again, got some outs. And anyway, I made the major league team out of minor league camp from this luncheon in Las Vegas. And that was in 91, and I played until 2000. So that was, uh, like I said, the, the end was right in front of me, but I wasn't ready for it to end. And 
that motivated me and that kept me motivated throughout my career because I had almost seen the end once. I didn't like the way it looked. Being grateful is also important to Mike. Things can seem hopeless, but if you take a look at your life, there are always things you can be thankful for. Man, I tell you what, uh, sometimes when you're really, really low and, you know, you're having your little pity party about, you know, oh, it always happens to me. But, um, boy, I tell you what, when you're down, sometimes it, you got to look around and realize that what am I grateful for? Um, look, what are these good things that I have? You know, I have, I've been dealt a pretty good hand, but, you know, I had a, I had four jacks, but damn, I wanted four aces or I wanted four kings, you know? Well, you know, four jacks, pretty good, buddy. And um, I think we got to keep that in mind that we have a lot to be grateful for and thankful for. And if you have, you know, a wife and kids, you just look at them and you say, you know what? Uh, my troubles are not near as low as I think they are. I think uh, I've been dealt a lot of good things and I need to be grateful for them. And you know what? On this other thing where I'm down, well, okay, I just got to get better. And uh, I'm going to put in and fight because uh, if I can overcome this, then it's going to make my family uh, more appreciative or maybe they'll see something in me that they like. It's one thing to go all in. It's another to do the little things to be successful in the moment. Accountability has always been key to Mike, whether as his own personal critic or now as a coach, teaching the best in baseball. Well, you just know that it's, it's you take a moment where you're accountable and you say, you know, this is on me. This one's on me. That there's no, in our profession, there's no scouts in the way, there's no general manager in the way. When I get on that mound, there's nobody standing in front of me. There's no coach, there's no manager. There's nobody. This one's on me. And I think we can all do that in whatever our, our fields are, you know, what we do in our lives. That Just, just know that, that there comes moments that this is all about me, and I'm not going to point the finger. I've got no one to blame. And I'm just going to look in the mirror and say, this is what I want to do, or maybe I need to do something else. Mike has always believed you have to have ultimate conviction in thoughts and actions. Just like when he humbled himself and attended the luncheon to ask for a job, many of us in everyday life also have to make the ask if we want to be successful. Never hurts to ask, bottom line. If you believe in yourself and you're convicted in your thoughts, I think good things can happen. But you, you, can't, you can't bluff your way through life, and you, you got to stand firm in, in, in your convictions, your faith, um, just things that you really believe in. And that was at that time, something I truly believed in that I deserved an opportunity. Um, I hadn't earned one, but I felt like I deserved one. So <laughs> you got to go out and earn it, you know, and sometimes, uh, you know, as far as excellence goes, you attain it, but now we got to sustain it. And how do you sustain it? Oh man, I think, uh, your work ethic is one way to do it. Um, what are you willing to put into it? If you're going to sustain it, it's how do you attain it, number one. And then you got to continue to put in that same work ethic. Uh, you know, I got a thing in when we were working out in the winters all the time, but we did our workouts. But when I was overcoming surgeries, I was doing rehab. Well, I found out that I felt stronger after rehabbing, so I began to prehab. So I just treated every offseason after that as though I was rehabbing and worked harder than I ever worked. 
Hmm. And that was one, one thing that worked for me. Inspiration is never in short supply when Maddox is around, and he has gathered wisdom from different places and memorable quotes. Well, there's a lot of them. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, just some overall themes. Uh, I mean, quotes, you could say baseball's a humbling game. Well, heck yeah, well, we know that one. That's a pretty good quote, but it's so true. Um, but I guess uh, some things to live by is in, in my game, one thing I did was uh, – you know, I, I owed it to my teammates to be prepared. And I thought that was a, something that was accountable to me, that if you owe your teammates to be prepared. You can't just go out and wing it. You know, if, they, if uh, the guy in front of you is going out there, he has a plan, he's a starting pitcher, and he's got a plan, and it was his day to shine, and he walks out of there and he's got a three-run lead, well, son of a gun, I better have a plan going in to pick him up because I owe him that. I owe him to be prepared. And I always thought that was a good way to approach it, man, is that uh, I owe my teammates to be prepared. Um, I got to bring my best every day and, you know, just kind of take it and leap from the front. You know, if he's going to do it this way, then I'm going to do it the same way, but I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to lead from the front. And, you know, instead of me following him, he, well, we're going to walk together right here. We're going to walk side to side this thing. Even though Mike grew up in Las Vegas, the Big Red Machine in Cincinnati was his favorite. They inspired Mike as he walked the path of baseball excellence. Two balls, no strikes. Two outs, seven to two, bottom of the ninth. Cincinnati leading. This could be it, left field. George Foster, Geronimo Foster makes the catch. That's it, the Cincinnati Reds win the World Series in four straight, it was a sweep. The final score, Cincinnati 7, the New York Yankees 2. <laughs> and why? Red uniform on, that's for sure. <laughs> Big time uh, Cincinnati Reds fans, man. That was Sheesh Pete Rose and Johnny Bench and Tony Perez. Sheesh George Foster, David Concepcion, Joe Morgan, Lee May. I mean, you, you donned on the red legs, man. You were, you were one of our icons, one of my idols. And what did a Pete Rose or a Johnny Bench, what did those guys, how did they inspire you? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, I know they influenced us. They influenced little brother and I quite a bit. You know, we played a lot of wiffle ball together. And um, we would emulate their batting stances. We, we knew them that deep, you know, whether it was from the bubblegum card or we got to see him on game of the week with Kurt Gowdy. And uh, we had their little innuendos down. So uh, when we were playing wiffle ball, like, you know, Pete Rose would come up. We'd have to get in this big, like, two-strike crouch and just try to deflect the ball. (laughs) Johnny Bench, we'd come in. We would have the finger down over the knob of the bat to make the bat as long as possible. Uh, Tony Perez, we had the high elbow, man, just ready to swing as soon as it left your hand. And George Foster, we swung as hard as we could and tried to hit as far as we could. Right. Conception, we try to draw a walk. (laughs) (laughs) And Joe Morgan, we get on the left side and we, you know, flap our elbow like we're trying to pop our armpit. And, you know, Lee May would come up and just wiggle the bat, wiggle the bat, wiggle the bat and let it fly. So, right. It's amazing that I can even recall that. It was that long ago, but. Seems like yesterday. The Big Red Machine featured some of the greatest to ever play the game, 
but Mike also played with and against some legends. Oh man, I was I was fortunate to play with some. Well, well why is it? You know, some of these guys are easy because uh, you'll hear the names when I say it. But like, you know, Steve Carlton. Well, sure, Hall of Famer. You know, but you, you saw greatness in him and and Mike Schmidt. You saw greatness in him. And these guys are my teammates. And, you know, they're in the Hall of Fame. Well, they're there because they were excellent. That's where I got the preparation from, was like from Carlton, the work ethic. Uh, that don't, don't leave anything for chance. We're going to outwork you. We're going to, you know, if the, the opposing pitcher is going to go seven, hell, I'm going to go eight or nine. I'm going nine anyway, but I'm always going to outlast the opposing pitcher. Just the work ethic from those two guys are – they're really easy, man, but it's unfair to mention guys because I'm going to leave out a whole lot more that would be there too. And is there something overriding advice from Steve Carlton, either by observing or he actually told you that kind of stands out? Oh, he was one of the guys that said, you know, pitch to get him out, man. Pitch to get him out, you're always in the driver's seat. You always got a base open. Um, he, he brought up that three and two, two strikes with two outs. He brought that up one time and said, you get an RBI guy up there, you throw that ball close, they're going to swing at it because they want them RBIs. And I said, man, I'm going to take that to heart. And I did it. And I remember one time it was Kevin Mitchell. Uh, we were playing the Giants. And it's about the end of June, and he's already had a good year. You know, he's got 30 homers and about 90 RBIs. He's just running the table. I had him three and two, and I threw a little slider about bottom of the kneecap, and he took it for ball four low. And I said, <laughs> yeah, you're right, Steve Crowley. Sure. <laughs> and now a quick pause for a pitching change. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Magnifying Excellence. Be sure to download our other episodes, which can all be found at xleet.com. That's X-L-E-T-E dot com. Also, visit the site and join the Magnifying Excellence Club and receive a first in a series of Magnifying Excellence eBooks. You can also share your personal definitions of excellence with us. Now, back to Mike Maddox. Much like Mike counsels his pitchers during a mound visit, there are many who helped Mike along the way. Wow, that's a long list. Anybody who preaches the gospel, man, you know, put them on a high pedestal. I, you know, I could go to my wife and, you know, my parents. I, I think they embody excellence as well. Um, you know, I was fortunate as a kid growing up to have a gentleman by the name of Ralph Meter. And Ralph kind of took me aside when I, we were new to Vegas in, when we, in 76, and it was the first baseball season. And my coach said, why don't you go meet this guy and just go down to Hamlin Park and tell him I sent you and go see Ralph Meter. And I said, okay. So I went over there to Ralph and heck, he was already working with Mike Morgan and had Marty Barrett out there and Tommy and Charlie and, you know, handpicked guys and we just started playing. And, and uh, Ralph took me under his wing for – well, three years, the next three years, and taught me a lot of stuff. And little brother, we brought him along, and uh, heck, he was, you know, 11 years old, and he started working with Ralph. And I just thought that Ralph's uh, selflessness was, uh, that's excellence. 
in what he did, given his time to people he did not know. But then once he knew us, he just molded us into better people. Maddox is a winner and has helped lead the Texas Rangers to the World Series twice and in 2020 coaches with the St. Louis Cardinals. He believes in baseball and life. There are constants you must commit to each morning when you wake up. Well, you got to bring your best every day once again, man. Um, how do we do that? Well, be prepared for the day. Well, whatever your day is, uh, whatever your profession is, get up with a good attitude, a positive attitude. That's, that's going to get much better feedback than a negative attitude. So uh, you got to find what's good that day and capitalize on what's good. If it's not good that day, well, let's make it better for tomorrow so that all your strengths play up and your weaknesses play up to your strengths. What is something that somebody can do if they wake up in the morning and they, they're trying to find, I got to bring my best today, but boy, I really don't feel like it. What do you say to those people? How good do you want to be? You know, you want to be excellent. You just want to be run of the mill. So your self-motivation comes into play then. It's big time. And that's where you have to get up, get you a cup of coffee, slap yourself in the face and say, do I really want to do this? Or am I trying to bluff my way through it? According to Mike, playing and coaching are two different talents. Fortunately or unfortunately, Mike had some help with making the transition to the dugout full time. I think the opposing hitters had a lot to do with that transition, man. That was, they'll make you, they'll make you, they'll make you get off that bump, but. Uh, a forced transition, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't voluntary. Um, boy, were they mad when I got out. Um, I, I had these, uh, I used to keep little notebooks, little little tablets, you know, keep them in my jacket pocket. And I had one on each team. And as soon as that guy stepped up to the plate, I'd kind of see little things that he did. And I would write in that little notebook, that little tablet about how I was going to pitch him. It was all part of my preparation. to, And I'd write it down. And, you know, guys saw me with the notebook. So we're sitting there in the dugout or I say the dugout in the bullpen in um, L.A., the Dodgers. And, you know, we'd sit there, and I had another thinking man with me and Jeff Shaw, and we would sit there, what are you going to do to this guy? And I said, well, I like this and this. What are you going to do to him? He said, I like this and this. So we'd involve someone else. What are you going to do to this guy? He goes, I don't know, whatever he calls. And we said, well, no, look, at you see this right here? Here's this window. You got this option and this option. And, you know, he started looking at my book, and he goes, well, you got – you know, breaking ball here and a high fastball and down the ways your safe zone. I go, yeah. He goes, well, how do you know that? And I well, get out there a few times, you'll figure it out. You know, what are your strengths, pal? You know, what do you do best? And no matter who comes up, what are you going to do? So anyway, these conversations went on. And then we had one game where all hell broke loose and we got all kind of guys thrown out of it, big old scrap of Mundo and <laughs> man, our, one of our, anyway, our bullpen coach, he was right in the middle of it. And, you know, coaches get harsher penalties than players. So he got suspended for, I think, 14 days. He, like, couldn't come to the park. Well, he was the guy that ran our advanced scout meetings. So they said, well, uh, who's going to do the scout meetings? And all the pitchers pointed to me. They said, he is. He's going to run these meetings. And I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, pull your book out. <laughs> so I said, all right so uh 
I ran the next couple scouting meetings and went, you know, it, it was what it was. I did it. But then uh, at the end of 14 days, here come the bullpen coach back and um, they asked me if I would continue to run the meeting. So I ran them the rest of the year. Wow. So that was kind of a, well, maybe this is, I went from player to player coach back to player, but remained player coach there my last couple of years. So, right. That was part of it. Maybe it was a pretty easy transition. It was clear to Mike, the transition to coaching was coming quickly and he will never forget his final game. In a sign of ultimate respect, the home plate umpire opened up the zone and pretty much everything was called a strike. And I went out and threw a couple of innings and I had a hard time staying healthy, this and that, but uh, I knew that it was right before the break and we were going to make a change after the, after the All-Star break. So uh, remember the umpire, Eddie Montague, was the home plate umpire and I went to that game and I told him, I said, hey, Eddie, this is my last game. I said, why don't you open it up and let me go out on a good note. And he said, you got it, pal. And I mean, if this ball didn't bounce, he called it a strike, all right? And I said, man, I got Brother Greg strike zone working right now. I can do this for another few years. This is unbelievable. <laughs> so I, anyway, I pitched uh, on Saturday. And um, on Friday, I was a double-A pitching coach. So it happened pretty fast. Mike's much sought-after book was a stepping stone to coaching. But besides formulating the information, he had to figure out how to deliver the message and share it successfully with the pitching staff individually and as a team. Uh, well, I remembered it. That was part of it. I Also, I lived it. I went out there. I knew what it smells like, what it tastes like, what it feels like. I know what nerves feel like. I know what calm and peace feel like. And being able to just uh, translate that and build relationships with guys so that they uh, you're speaking from somebody who's done it and you've been where they want to go. And that was really that way when I first started coaching, you know, I had been where they want to go. Now the guys I coach had no idea even played, but you know, I'm just teasing right there, but (laughs) the guys that I was coaching, they were just watching me on TV. Right. that, That happened. I mean, my transition into real coaching was real quick. Mike's first unofficial coaching job was with his younger brother, Greg, who is known as one of the best pitchers in the history of the game. Greg absorbed everything Mike told him and believes it was a key to his ultimate success. Everything I was about to do, he had already done. So it it was kind of my crutch. When you get drafted, what do I expect? And then you get drafted, hey, what's rookie ball like? What's A ball like? Uh... What do you do when your teammates are acting like this? <laughs> you know, just uh, anything that was happening to me for the first time in baseball, I could always call him to find out how to handle the situation. And uh, as we got older, then it became, well, how do you pitch this guy? How do you pitch that guy? Then we started trading scouting reports left and right. Uh, the scouting back then wasn't like it was today where uh, – you know, you got your own schematics back then, and you got those by word of mouth and, and trusting opinions of people that you've played with. As in life and business, relationships are also important in baseball and coaching. Mike has a knack for understanding how to relate to different personalities, a vital part of coaching. Working with people and being able to relate to his pitching staff has been an attribute that Maddox brings to the Cardinals. His reputation has been that of a coach that cares. You know what? One thing I like to do is build a relationship 
with the player? You know, what, what is your common bond? You know, what's our common thread? We all got something in common, you know, whether we're from the same state or from the same city, we went to the same high school, or maybe we like to golf or we like to fish. We like to hunt. Um, but we all have that common bond. So I like to find that common bond and really talk about that quite a bit because it gets, it builds that relationship other than, Hey, I'm the coach and you're the player. You do what I say type thing. Um, you know, I want this to be a two-way street and they know it that there's the human element in our game that does not get brought up enough. We get so involved with statistics and, you know, measurements and, you know, nobody talks about, you know, what's the size of the, you know, this guy's heart, man, you know, how, how much does he want this, you know, versus the next guy. So I try to build those relationships and, and once you do build a relationship and you gain trust, then you're able to hold guys accountable. And you can bring up those stories when it happens that, you know, we talk about giving your best day in and day out. And, you know, I'll ask him, man, did, did, did you leave your best game out there? Or you still got more in the tank and you're no longer in the game. And that just becomes a, a running theme about, no, when you come out of the game, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, you left your best game out there. Even when your best game that day was not very good, but you gave it all you had that day. As mentioned previously, conviction is a huge part of Mike's life and baseball philosophy. Staying personally committed is one thing. Motivating another human to have the proper mindset is an ongoing challenge. Man, if we could come up with that answer, that'd be pretty good. Man, <laughs> I just have to challenge him. And once again, you, you yeah, just got to ask people, you know, how bad do you want it? Is it, is it worth the work? You know, how, how, how hard and how much are you willing to work? How much blood, sweat, and tears are you going to put in this thing? Or you just want it as going back to that one comment I made about, you know, do you deserve it or did you earn it? You know, well, we got to earn. We got to earn our convictions, man. You got to have those convictions. You earn that. And once you earn it, then you deserve it. The same conviction is needed when it comes to Mike's actual pitching philosophy. And he takes special care to instill that as a coach. You know, the, the grassroots are command the fastball and change speeds. Those are grassroots of how you win in the big leagues. It's how you, you get as good as you're going to be. you got to have some fastball command, and you got to be able to change speeds. And after that, 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 those are the physical, but the mental part of it, man. you got to execute, you know, command, I would say execute, but you got to have some conviction behind it, man. you got to have your heart and your soul in it. Every time you wear it back, but we're not just going to, throw it to throw it. We're going to throw the darn thing. I mean, and we're going to get on after it. We're going to have a little snot coming out of our nose and steam coming out of our ears, man. It's, that's how, that's how you approach the game. It's, you know, pitch with a very aggressive demeanor, but passive on the outside and under control of that aggression. But, you know, I think the easiest way, those words that I said, execute with conviction and good things going to happen. Mike may seem stoic from the outside, but he is known to have a keen sense of humor and understands that keeping the mood light can make a huge difference in any outcome. He even uses it on himself after tough moments. Yeah, I remember one game in particular, um, bases loaded. I came into the game and the manager told me, this is a tough spot. This is a tough spot. And had Andres Galarraga, this was Shea Stadium, in the O one there in New York. And uh, he hit it 
out of the stadium. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm out of that situation. <laughs> Bases are not loaded any longer. As Mike has clearly described during this podcast, his life and career have been about perseverance, not bluffing through life, accountability, and so much more. It all added up to a dream fulfilled and the personification of excellence, and much to appreciate along the way. He also allows himself the ultimate compliment in his mind and admits he was an overachiever. You know, once again, have a lot to be grateful for and uh, thankful for it. Uh, met a lot of good, made a lot of good friends along the way and um, learned a lot about life and learned a lot about yourself. I guess those are things to really be grateful for, but um, probably uh, somebody asked me one time about what was the best part of your career or what was your favorite game? And uh, I said, yeah, you know what? That's my last game. The last game I pitched was probably the happiest game of my career because I knew that I couldn't do it anymore. And I didn't have to wonder what if um, I got everything out of it that I possibly could, that there was no more left. There was nothing left. If Eddie Montague doesn't open up that strike zone like he did for me, I was still backing up third base. I mean, that, that was all she wrote, man. But I, I could walk away from the game with my head held high, knowing that I gave it all I had. I got every ounce of talent out of me. And it, it, it stemmed back to I stood up for myself back in 91, asked for an opportunity, got it, and never let go of it until – my skills were just taken away. So my last game was probably my happiest game because I could look back and I didn't have to wonder what it You described excellence as overachieving. Were you an overachiever? No doubt. No doubt. I was uh, supposed to be done, you know, before that, but I wouldn't let it happen. I was not ready for the end to come near. And I kept pushing father time off, pushing father time off. Finally, I was 39 years old and couldn't do it any longer. Well, is there anything else you want to add that I've missed? I think uh, very compelling stuff. I appreciate it. Anything, any other overriding thoughts about excellence that you'd well, like to I share? Guess, uh, to kind of be cliche, you know, I couldn't have done it without my wife. I mean, she was there every step of the way, my wife, Lisa. I mean, she's excellent. And, uh, you know, she always makes me want to be a better person. And I think that's excellence right in there. If uh, you want to be a better person for someone, well, that someone is, that's excellence. And, um, you see your kids and the way they grow, and that's just makes you want to be a better father, then you someday make you a better grandfather. But those are excellence in our eyes that the good Lord above has blessed us with. A huge thank you to Mike Maddox for allowing us to magnify his excellence. Be sure to visit xleet.com to download our other episodes, which feature his brother Greg, NBA legend Bill Walton, NFL player and Naval Academy graduate Napoleon McCallum, and multi-talented performer Susan Anton. Also, please join the Magnifying Excellence Club and get the first in a series of Magnifying Excellence eBooks and other access. You can also share your personal definitions of excellence with us and share any excellence you witness. 
We are always on the lookout to honor true excellence no matter where it happens. This has been the Magnifying Excellence Podcast, powered by xleet.com. Our studio is located in Las Vegas, the sports and entertainment capital of the world. Production and music by Jay Hurley Productions. Thanks for being a part of a new era of excellence. Any brief celebrity quotes do not imply endorsement of xleet.com or the Magnifying Excellence podcast. All rights reserved.